The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is a program that focuses on the arts community from Stockton to Merced and Foothill to Foothill. We talk with local authors, poets, playwrights, fine artists, actors, directors, filmmakers, dancers, musicians, crafters, and makers to learn more about their art and the arts-related events here in our part of the valley. We're your hosts, Linda Scheller. And I'm Sandy Graham. If you're involved in the greater arts community of our area and would like to be featured, we will share our contact information at the end of the show. Our guest today on Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is Ken White. Ken retired from the worlds of advertising, corporate communications, and interactive technology to concentrate on writing and community service. He taught mass communications and film appreciation at Modesto Junior College. Ken has written novels, screenplays, short stories, stage plays, and children's and nonfiction books. Much of his writing is focused on the Central Valley heartland. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Linda. Happy to be here. Your recently published book, Brighter Day, is a fictional memoir that takes place in 1969. Please tell us about your new book. Well, Brighter Day is a sequel to my first novel, which was called Getaway Day, and it's a coming-of-age uh, story. Uh, as you mentioned, it takes place in 1969, and the characters from Getaway Day are moved down seven years into uh, 1969, and the protagonist, is uh, it's his first year away from home. It's his third year of college, um, and so he's dealing with a lot of different things in his life, including being away from home, uh, going to college. Uh, he's also dealing with the draft, and it's sort of uh, how he deals with uh, what is happening in his life and in his world, and uh, it is very much involved with uh, Vietnam War and all the things, the turbulent times that were happening in that year. And 1969 has been referred to as the year everything changed, uh, and that certainly happened for uh, the country and for the protagonist. Well, that sounds wonderful. Where can our listeners obtain a copy of Brighter Day? So they can purchase it online, uh, either through Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, it's also at the McHenry Museum. Mm. Um, and then it's physically at the Barnes & Noble store here locally. Uh, yesterday's Books has it, and then very soon the Convention and Visitors Bureau will also have it. Oh, very good. Now, Brighter Day is a sequel to your book, Getaway Day. Please tell us about Getaway Day and how you came to write that. So Getaway Day was uh, the first novel that was uh, that I really wrote um, with the idea of, of self-publishing it. And uh, I wanted to write about my growing up in Modesto uh, when it was a much smaller town. And it's really about family, and it's about mentoring, um, and it's also very much about baseball. Well, speaking of baseball, I read that you had a number of book signings for Getaway Day at Oracle Park, and the proceeds from your book sales went to the Giants Community Fund. I wondered what importance baseball holds in your life and what you believe baseball and sports in general give to our community. So baseball was the sport that I always enjoyed the most and that I could play relatively well. Baseball is basically America's pastime. Mm. And baseball is all about teamwork, about fair play, about responsibility, about helping your teammates. And as Ken Burns said in his special on baseball, it's about coming home. And I think uh, sports is important in a community uh, and baseball also. 
because it teaches responsibility. And again, it teaches teamwork and it teaches uh, community. Yeah. Teaches people how to accept disappointment and defeat, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so many good qualities. Is there a long history of baseball here in the Modesto area? Well, as a matter of fact, um, there is. Uh, baseball started in Modesto in the uh, 1880s. Wow. And so it's been going on for quite a while. And we had um, a number of celebrities come through town o over the years. People huh. like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Casey Stengel oh. and the Chicago White Sox all came to Modesto to play exhibition games. Oh, my. And then we used to have uh, spring training for the San Francisco Seals here in Modesto. Um, and, and actually, Getaway Day is about a very important day. In 1962, when the New York Yankees and San Francisco Giants came to Modesto during the 1962 World Series and practiced because the field in San Francisco was too wet to practice. Oh. And so the owners of the, the team then was the Modesto Colts, hmm. called and said, hey, it's dry in Modesto, come on over and practice. And they oh. did. So they put everybody on two buses. Uh, everybody except Willie Mays, who drove over his, his, his own Cadillac. <laughs> and they worked out at, uh, at the old Dell Webb Field for a couple hours each. Could the public come and watch? public came and watched in droves. The, the field only held about 2,000 people, and there were at least 5,000 or more that were there. Oh, I would be so, too. Were you there? I was there. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, these two books are the first two volumes of a series, Our Days. What are your plans for this series? So when I wrote Getaway Day, I was asked, are you going to write a prequel or a sequel? And I hadn't really thought about it, but I had thought about writing a baby boomer novel, a novel about all of the baby boomers and their experiences. And so I thought, well, goodness, uh, I've already written one book that is about that. Why don't I go ahead and continue and write additional books and pick pivotal years in our experiences and, uh, and write about that? And so that's what I did. So I started with 1962, then I jumped to 1969. And so the next one, I haven't decided what year it'll be, but it may be around 1976, which was a, um, let's see, what centennial year would that have yeah, been? It was the bicentennial. Yeah, the bicentennial. And, uh, and then I'll pick some pivotal event or moment having to do with that year. And so I have plans. I'm hoping to do two or three more to sort of catch up and do a complete baby boomer novel or series. Oh, this is so great. I should think anybody who either moved to this area and especially people who grew up here are going to be so grateful and so interested. In September 2019, you helped organize the inaugural Modesto Writers Block, which was held at Barnes & Noble. Please describe that event. So I had done some book signings with Barnes & Noble and gotten to know the community events uh, person there. And they wanted to, wanted to do something with local writers, featuring local writers. And so they contacted me and said, would I help spearhead that event? And uh, so I spoke with other writers, including uh, Tom Myers mm -hmm. and Paula Trek DeBoard. And uh, so the, the two of them, along with myself and the folks from Barnes & Noble, organized an event that would feature local writers of all genres and all age groups. And basically, we held it at Barnes & Noble on a Saturday in September. And we had readings and we had discussions and uh, invited the public to, to come meet uh, the, the local writers. And the local writers were selling their books and signing them. And it was a real opportunity for uh, local writers to showcase their work and to have the community come see who they were. Was it well attended? It was well attended. It was actually a very busy day. And, and we realized that uh, if we do it again, we might need to expand and be in a little larger space because, oh, because some of the... Uh, um, Presentations were, were very well attended. Mm, good. I'm curious, what does your writing process typically look like? So I'm an early riser, and I get up and, and basically I 
check emails and take care of all that sort of thing. But then I'm I'm right away uh, working on a, a project. And so for me, it's all about being in the chair at the computer and working every day on something. And I generally tend to work from seven until noon and then I'll take a break and go exercise or do something. And then I'll come back and work from one to three. And then usually after that, I'll have meetings where go out and and speak with people either related to a book project or related to one of the things I'm doing in the community. And so it's, it's very important to, uh, to put the time in Mm -hmm. and you have to be patient and, and follow through. And usually I'm working on multiple projects. So I'm not working on one project at any given time. I may have three or four that I'm sort of either thinking about or working on a draft or finishing up and or marketing because marketing is a big part of it. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're listening to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley on KCBP Community Radio. I'm your host, Linda Scheller, and today our guest is Ken White. Based on your experience, what advice would you give to other writers and would-be writers? Well, it's always been said that you should write what you know, and I believe that. But I think you should also write what you love, mm. because that will really carry through in, in not only allowing you to stay with it, but to finish it. Um, and, and again, I think you've got to put the time in. Um, you've got to put words on the page or, or words on the screen, however you choose to write. And then you also have to be dedicated to promoting your work, mm-hmm. uh, particularly if you're self-published, because unless you're Stephen King or James Patterson, yeah. you're going to be responsible for doing the marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and I've gotten pretty good at that. I've learned that uh, a number of ways to get the word out um, and, and to uh, get the book at top of mind with individuals. And so that's real important, is that you really have to, to know that it's going to be a long haul and, and that the writing of the book is probably only 30% of the process oh, because my. the rest of it is getting it formatted, getting it out there, and then marketing it, following up, and then getting ready for the next one. In 2017, you published Touchstones, Life and Times of Modesto, a book commissioned by the McHenry Museum and Historical Society. You wrote, quote, Touchstones is a contemporary snapshot of the values, people, places, organizations, and activities that make Modesto a unique, attractive, and authentic California city that contribute to its identity and quality of life and form the foundation of our community, unquote. Please tell us about Touchstones. So I was approached by the McHenry Museum um, Historical Society to write a book about the history of Modesto. And as we discussed the project, we realized that there were plenty of histories of Modesto that had already been written, and we really didn't need to write another one. And so what I thought we should do is, is do a profile of Modesto as it is now. And I realized that I couldn't write that book, that I really needed to go out and find experts in the area from Modesto who knew certain specific things about certain specific areas. And so I went to Bob Barzan and had Bob write about architecture. I went to Chris Murphy and had Chris Murphy write about uh, graffiti. Uh, And so I went to individuals like that whose expertise um, fit the topic. And so I wouldn't have to, to write all of those mm-hmm. subjects. And then basically I served as an editor and I wrote some of the um, stories. And then part of the book, uh, which helped underwrite it, was also profiles of local companies. Ah. And so we would go out and we would have um, various companies submit um, a profile about their company that would form half of the book. And so we went to Gallo Winery and we went to uh, Varney Distributing and J.S. West. And so it was a... a a very different book. It wasn't really a history. It ended up being a, a snapshot of kind of where we were. And it was really designed, in my mind, 
to counter a lot of the negativity that is out there mm-hmm. about our hometown and about Modesto yes. and to create a sense of pride of who we are and what we've accomplished, which is really quite a lot when you start looking yeah. at what's been done. That's excellent. What about the graphics? Did you collect some old photographs or were you working with any currently uh, working photographers? How did that go? So basically, in addition to going out and asking experts to contribute content, I went out to local artists, I went out to local photographers, and I went to the um, McHenry Museum. And I asked the photographers and the artists to contribute um, some photography and some artwork. And then the museum helped me with the historical photographs. And so I was able to get a real nice collection of local photographers and artists to contribute their work to also give a sense of uh, the breadth of work and the breadth of talent that lives here in this town. Oh, that's marvelous. Well, I should think that's quite a, quite a treasure. It took a while, too. It took me off and on almost two and a half years to put the oh. whole thing together. So it was uh, quite, a, quite a project. Well, how would you describe the unique identity of Modesto? So I think that Modesto is, for a big town now, it's still very much a small town. And it's all about caring. I think the, the slogan of one of the local nonprofits is a, a city of great neighborhoods. Oh. And I think that's really true, is that um, even though we have uh, the individual neighborhoods, where it's, whether it's La Loma or College or Del Rio or wherever it is, um, each of those communities is very unique. And uh, they, they each take care of each other. Mm. And I think that that's always been sort of the hallmark of this town, is that uh, even though there may be issues and, and things to deal with, that we all seem to come together and try to deal with those. It's very well-intentioned. Um, and so that's what I've always uh, felt about, about my hometown. Well, that's lovely. Do you feel it's that way in the surrounding communities, if you know? I mean, I live in not in Modesto, but I, I've noticed that the little town where I reside is very, very community-oriented and friendly. and Maybe it's kind of a regional quality. I think you're right. I think it's definitely something about the Central Valley and something about our being somewhat insulated uh-huh. and that we really do have to rely on each other yeah. and, and our local representatives and, and our local government to, uh, to get things done because we are, as someone has said, we're kind of the flyover zone. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not Los Angeles. We're not San Francisco. Uh-huh. And so the Central Valley sometimes gets overlooked mm-hmm. and we really have to advocate on our own and uh, in order to get some things done. Well, that makes perfect sense. Well, what do you see as foremost among our values? Again, I think that it has to do with, with that notion of community and caring and neighborliness and, and taking care of each other. And, uh, and I think a little bit um, some of the old-fashioned value, values of a family mm-hmm. and integrity and responsibility. Yes. I mean, I think that responsibility is really critical, and I think we're starting to see a lot of that happening with, say, the the homelessness issue. Is that that one is very is a very visible issue. Yes. And there's are a lot of groups that have come together that are trying to figure out a good way to deal with that 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 takes care of the homeless individuals, but also takes care of the community and the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Where can listeners obtain a copy of Touchstone's Life and Times of Modesto? So it's only available at the McHenry Museum. So the McHenry Museum store, which is open from 12 to 4, I believe it's Tuesday through Saturday or Sunday. And so they have copies of it there. Oh, okay. But not online? Not available online. No, that was part of the agreement when we did the book is that the publisher wanted to um, not make it available online so that all proceeds would go to the museum. 
Well, how and when did your own family come to live in the valley? So my father was born in Los Angeles. My mother was born in Stent, California, which is near Jamestown. And uh, I'm trying to remember, I think I'm third or fourth generation Californian. And so I was actually born in Lathrop, uh, born in um, St. Joseph's Hospital in Stockton, in the little town of Lathrop, and moved to Modesto when I was two years old. And uh, lived in various places of town as my dad kind of moved around and, mm -hmm. and we all moved around. But we first lived over um, in the airport neighborhood, right by a Gallo winery. And, uh, and I went to Washington Elementary School. I went to Insulin. I went to Beard. Uh, and then eventually I ended up at, at Garrison and then went all through school here. So Garrison, uh, Roosevelt, Grace Davis, Pedesto Junior College, and then transferred to, to Grace Davis my junior year. So been in, in, the, in the area for a number of years, went away to work, went away to school, and then eventually uh, in late 1990 came back home again. It's still home for me. I was going to ask what keeps you here. Well, it, it, there's a, a long history for me. And there's something that, that I call, uh, I think it's from a Paul McCartney song, and it's called Ever Present Past. Oh. And for me, being able to drive neighborhoods and see things that I experienced when I was very young and mm -hmm. when I was in junior high, high school, and junior college, at all the various phases of my life of growing up, it's very nice to be able to have that. And when I came home, my mother and father were still alive. All my siblings were here. I'm the oldest of five. So um, it was really coming home to, to family and to all of my friends, a lot of whom stayed here and, and many of whom went away and then eventually came back again because yeah. they realized that this was a great town to, to raise their families and they knew uh, a lot of people and, and so it just was for the coming home for them also. Yeah, it's a demonstration of those values in action. Family, community, the perfect place to Absolutely. raise a family and, and continue to live. You wrote the play Migrant Mother about photojournalist and documentary photographer Dorothea Lang and her encounter with Florence Owens Thompson, the subject of Lang's iconic photograph of the same name. It debuted as a one-act play in 2014 at the Prospect Theater Project, and in 2017, Migrant Mother was produced in full at PTP. What inspired you to write this play? So, as you mentioned in my bio, I like to write local stories. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an, uh, a Modesto B article, and I want to say it was maybe in 2000, 2002, somewhere around there, by Ted Benson. And Ted and I went to high school together. And Ted, for, Ted for years, was a photographer at the Modesto B. And he wrote an article about Florence Owens Thompson and Dorothea Lang because of his interest in photography. Mm -hmm. And when I read the article, I said, goodness. I didn't realize there was a Modesto connection here because Florence Owens, Owens Thompson lived in Modesto for a number of years and is oh. actually buried at Lakewood Cemetery. Oh, my. And uh, she's had children who lived here, and she still has relatives who were in Modesto and in the area. And so I thought, well, goodness, here's a Modesto story about an iconic photograph yeah. in a particularly pivotal time of our history. Mm. And so I decided, well, I want to do a little more investigating. And so I did some research, and that was really the genesis of Migrant Mother. It was a local story written by a local person that I happen to know, uh -huh. and, uh, and so that's really where I started it. Wow, that's marvelous. What research then did you do after you found this? Well, I did quite a bit of research. I read <laughs> as much as I could about Florence Owens Thompson and Dorothea Lang in local uh, newspapers. I also contacted the McHenry Museum. Um, Janet Lancaster, who works there and is the archivist, is a great resource. 
And she had a whole box of things about Florence Owens Thompson and about Dorothea Lange. And then there's been a couple documentaries done about Dorothea Lange, and so I watched all those. And then there's been a couple books written about her. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then there's also a book written about Migrant Mother by um, Olita K. Thompson, who was, um, I think she was the great-granddaughter-in-law of Florence Owens Thompson. And uh, so I read her book and and talked with her. And so I interviewed a few folks and then got feedback on the on the play um, and then we went into the, the production of the sort of a, a staged reading which Jack did yeah. originally and then we decided well let's let's go ahead and do the, the full-blown production did any of her relatives get to see the play actually it was a very ironic story um, we were in the final Sunday and mm-hmm. Sunday is always a, a talk back yes. session and uh, so before the play started um, a, an elderly gentleman came in with his uh, son and, and daughter-in-law. And it turns out that he was the great nephew, I believe was the relation of Florence Owens Thompson. Oh, and they happened to be driving by. Oh. He lives He lives in, I think it was in Tracy. Uh-huh. And he, they just happened to be driving by looking for a place to watch the Super Bowl or no, it was a playoff game. Yes. And they saw the banner with the photo and they decided, my goodness, that's that's my great aunt. Oh my and so they came in uh-huh. and and stayed for the play and then stayed for the talk back afterwards. Oh, that's so and great. and they were just mesmerized by the play and oh, by how wonderful. we presented it. And so we had a very nice conversation about the play and his relationship to the to the subject. So, oh, that is really yeah, so nice. He, but he was the only one that actually got to see it. None uh-huh. of her other relatives or people who had, had uh, done stories about her mm-hmm. were able to make it. You're listening to KCBP Community Radio, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Arts of the San Joaquin Valley with your host, Linda Scheller, and today I'm speaking with Ken White. In a Modesto Bee article about Migrant Mother, you're quoted as saying, I hope people come away thinking that what people worried about in 1936 are things that are not that much different in 2017. The play examines class struggle, greed, and disenfranchisement. How do you regard these problems in the history of America and today? I have a quote that I use in uh, Brighter Day by Mark Twain that basically says, history may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Ah. And I think that's very true with what I wrote in Brighter Day and also what I wrote in Migrant Mother. Migrant Mother, as you mentioned, talks about class struggle, greed, and disenfranchisement. And there is certainly a great deal of that going on now. Yeah. Um, And we have a president and some politicians that seem to want to foster a culture of fear and a culture of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And the more that they can keep people separated, the more they can do the things that they think are right which may not always be right. And I think that was also going on in 1936, that mm-hmm. people were separated and were afraid. Mm-hmm. And so it, it contributed to that. And I think that that is the, the same sort of thing that's going on today, that this uh, greed yeah. uh, and certainly the class struggle and, and disenfranchisement, I think that that is certainly happening today with um, people being unable to vote because mm-hmm. of voter registration problems or whatever it might be. And uh, so, again, I think that Mark Twain was right. It it may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. 
Well, what might we as individuals and as a community do then to combat poverty and homelessness and other societal problems that stem from greed? I think the important thing is, is to get involved. And there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that are doing things in the community, um, including the Peace Life Center. Um, and I think people should need to get involved with those things. I think that voting is absolutely critical. I agree. You need to be registered and you need to vote. You need mm-hmm. to show up. Um, I think you need to get to know your neighbors. Yes. You get, need to get to know your neighborhood. You need to work with your neighbors in your neighborhood. I've been thinking a lot lately about organizations in town that are basically losing membership because the population that have, has been running them is aging out. Uh, yeah. And that the younger people aren't really stepping up in a way that I would like to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, things like the McHenry Museum, uh, the McHenry Mansion. They have... Uh, a volunteer organization that basically are getting older and and are retiring and not being involved as much as they were. And and we're really not getting the younger generation involved. And I'm hoping that that, that will change, that people will start to realize that these are these are legacy organizations mm-hmm. that are really important to the town and that uh, need to have some younger people involved. What do you think of the idea of having community service as part of high school? I think that's a terrific idea. Yeah. I think that I, I hope that that goes forward, and I think that that is something that, and I, I believe that they're talking about community service also being um, a substitute for tuition. Oh, great! At certain, I think they were talking about that with community colleges, perhaps maybe even the university. But I think that's a wonderful idea. I do too. So instead of having to pay a certain amount of dollars, if you put in a certain amount of hours yeah. in community service, then it would go towards your tuition. Oh. So I think that that sort of thing would be would be wonderful. And community service as an alternative to military service, but with the same recognition and absolutely benefits for yeah. having served, but was, in a peaceful capacity. Yeah, I mean, similar to what was happening with, with Peace Corps and VISTA and with yeah. those sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, back then, Peace Corps would not be put toward your draft status. That was oh. a decision that Nixon and, and the government made, is that even though you might have served in Peace Corps and VISTA, that didn't count towards your selective service obligations. And to me, that just seemed very short-sighted. I agree. Is that you could have had all these people doing wonderful work mm-hmm. in the world and putting that toward a certain amount of their selective service obligation, but the government wouldn't allow it to happen. It was really yeah. unfortunate. Seems like we're getting right back to greed versus kindness. Yeah, kindness and compassion. Yes. Now, another theme of Migrant Mother is the framing of reality. How are we influenced by the point of view pervade in art and the media? It's never really objective. Um, Every story that's told has a point of view. And I think whether that's um, the media or it's the government or, say in my case, telling a story. Um, Each of the stories that I've told, there's been a point of view that I had. There was a message that I may have wanted to communicate. There was something that I wanted people to walk away with. And uh, and that is certainly the case with artists and photographers. Um, And in Dorothea Lange's case, she definitely brought a point of view. She was hired to show poverty and to show that there was a need to support individuals and that the government was trying to to bring some power to bear. And so she was hired to, to show what was going on. And so she had a very definite point of view. And she said that that she did not ever stage anything or do anything to sort of tell her point of view of things. Uh, but the fact is, is that there are some, some photographs that she took 
that it's very obvious. And she even mentioned that she sort of uh, would place certain objects in certain places so mm-hmm. that people would react to them. Oh. And in, in one specific incident, there's a photograph of a family going down a road and the father is pulling a wagon and he's got his children in the wagon. Oh, I remember that. And, and he's looking back over his shoulder. Well, if you look at the untouched photograph of that image, there's actually uh, either a film canister or something that she had either tossed or placed for them to look at, for them to react to. And so, again, there are things that she, that she did either physically placing things or in the way that she framed. Yeah. Because if you frame a photograph to crop out certain things, you're already influencing what that image is going to say to people. Well, how has your work in advertising and corporate communications shaped your ideas about the framing of reality? So as I say, I, I confess to doing that by how I frame the story. And uh, certainly in advertising, there was a, a very specific story that we wanted to, wanted to tell. And I've done work over the years for companies like Levi Strauss and Gallo Winery and Bechtel Corporation and Wells Fargo, Apple, lots of different people. But each one of those projects that I worked on, we had a very specific message that we wanted to portray and a very specific brand message. Uh, In Levi's case, their tagline for many years was, quality never goes out of style. Mm -hmm. And so they were very adamant about that, that they were tuned into the quality of the product and tuned into the quality of the company. And we've talked earlier about uh, community, and that was one of the things that I was attracted to Levi Strauss about, was that they had a a group that was basically their uh, social responsibility department. They actually had a department within the corporation that dealt with social responsibility and community involvement. And every office had a group like that that would go out into the community and do good work. That's great. And so they were, that was always something that was very important to them. And for me, um, I loved that notion about Mm -hmm. them. And one of the projects I did for them was a profile about the community involvement teams and about social responsibility. And we traveled around the country and around the world to showcase that. And, uh, so the more companies that do that kind of thing, uh, I think the, the better off we are. This is KCBP Wesley, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. You're listening to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley, and today our guest is Ken White, local author and playwright. I had read that there's controversy about Dorothea Lange's photographic process. And we spoke a little bit about her maybe not being quite as strictly a documentarian as maybe some people think of her, or maybe she wanted people to think of her as. And what are your thoughts about that? Well, as we mentioned earlier, I think that that even though she thought or tried very hard to be as objective as she could be, and she was. I mean, she picked subjects that, that told a very specific story. And uh, I think she tried to be very objective in in trying to portray that. But again, I think there were times where she might have erased the line a little bit Mm -hmm. and and been uh, a little more prone to really trying to to send the message home. Because in addition to doing all of her Depression-era photographs, Mm -hmm. which was quite a body of work, and she wasn't the only one. There were other very famous photographers that were doing that. She also um, was asked to document the Japanese internment yes. and the relocation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that process was very upsetting to her. And in fact, 
she was chastised a bit and some of her photographs were never published because in the mind of the government, she went a little too far in being sympathetic to the plight of the Japanese. And so I know that that sometimes perhaps her emotions may have gotten a little more uh, involved. Yeah, I'd read an article about that. Her photographs just inspired great pathos. They were very poignant. And that was just not what what the government wanted people to see. So they preferred Ansel Adams, who showed the nobility and the strength and dignity of the interred Japanese Americans. So Exactly. But she was, I mean, this wasn't just pure art. I mean, this was art in the service of communication, I guess, and and hopefully even affecting change. So perhaps Mm -hmm. she could be forgiven for not strictly documenting, but... Well, and I think it can be called, it basically was propaganda, but propaganda probably in the truest definition of it. I mean, propaganda has gotten a bit of a a dirty name because of the way it's been used. Mm -hmm. But it certainly was government propaganda in terms of trying to get a message across to the American people and to the world about what was going on in the Depression and what was going on with people living in poverty and and basically trying to to make it happen, trying to make a life for themselves when it was really very difficult to do that. Yeah, I guess there was opposition to FDR's proposals for Social Security and and the works projects and other things that, I mean, earlier in life I thought, well, who could possibly be against such things that are helping so many millions of people? But I was shocked only recently to find out that there was stringent opposition, like, oh no, they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps or die trying. Yeah, so. No, very much so. You know, we take all of that for granted now. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, no, it was very controversial. And, huh. and again, we heard cries in those days of socialism and yes. communism and things like that. And, right. and all they were trying to do was, was make the life better for yeah. uh, the people that were, were disenfranchised and didn't uh-huh. have the money to take care of themselves. And through no fault of their own, because as in the case of Florence Owens Thompson and her family, they were working in the fields. They were picking peas. They were trying to, to survive. Mm-hmm. And they were everybody... That, most of those individuals were very much trying to get by and were all very hardworking people. But oh, there yes. was only so many opportunities available to them. Yeah. And the weather and the stock market crash, it was a perfect storm of terrible problems. Mm-hmm. Well, back in 2009, I saw a staged reading of your play In My Father's House, a historical drama about the last weeks of Michael Prokes's life. You went to Davis High School with Prokes. In a Modesto B article, you said... Quote, the play ultimately is about forgiveness, unquote. I hope you'll elaborate on that statement as well as describe for us your play's treatment of Michael Prokes' life and death. So, yes, I went to high school with, with Mike Prokes, and this again was another story that was about Modesto. I didn't realize the, the connections until um, Jonestown happened and until 1979. Um, when all of this uh, came together. And then uh, I began researching a little bit more and found out more about Mike Proke's involvement and knew about uh, his suicide, um, which had happened in, in 1980. And um, basically, I wanted to know a little bit more about what motivated him to get involved with James Jones and, and with uh, Jonestown. And again, it sort of harkens back a bit to, to some of the themes that are in Brighter Day which are about um, being well-intentioned, 
and trying to change the world mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out a way to change the world. And Mike was very much in that mold and, and he saw some things that he would like to see changed. And he had gone up to do a story on Jim Jones and People's Temple and what was going on there. And he was impressed with what he heard and what he saw mm. and, and decided that, you know, maybe this is something I could get involved with to, to make a difference. And, uh, and so he did. He basically got involved. He gave the, the church, People's Temple, all of his money. And he became the public relations person for Jim Jones and, and People's Temple. And his background was in journalism and in TV broadcasting. I see. And worked with, uh, I think it was Channel 10 in Sacramento mm -hmm. and was the, the local bureau person here in Modesto. And so he went to work for, for Jones and People's Temple. Mm -hmm. And so when they relocated to Guyana, he went with them and, and was very involved with everything that was happening there. And then, uh, of course, when Leo Ryan and everybody showed up oh. and, and they were all uh, murdered at, at the airstrip, uh, Mike Prokes was able to, to escape. And uh, he eventually went back to San Francisco and then came back to Modesto and then held a, a press conference in Modesto at the old uh, Motel 6 on Kansas Avenue there. And when he was done with the news conference, he went into the bathroom and shot himself. And so the lo local news people that were there, um, a couple of people from uh, Channel 3 and Channel 10 tried to save his life, but, but, wow. but they couldn't. And so I wanted to try and figure out, you know, one, why did he get involved with this? And, yes. and why did he go so far with it? And then why did he commit suicide? Yeah. And um, eventually I think that it came down to the fact that he felt that either people didn't understand what they were doing mm -hmm. and didn't understand Jim Jones and or he just couldn't live with what he was involved with mm -hmm. any longer. And, uh, and and we just will never know because no. he, he never really shared that story uh, with, with people he was close with. And, uh, and for me, again, the themes of forgiveness were important because mm -hmm. he, he really didn't forgive himself uh, or the other people involved. But it's also as much a story about vigilance and about uh, paying attention mm -hmm. to what's going on around you, and uh, and I think that a lot of people weren't doing that until it was it was too late. And when we did the the staged reading, I had my niece there, and I had other family members there who knew very little about Jonestown. And so for me, it was a good way for those people to know what happened. Uh, yes. And there are a lot of people who know the phrase "drinking the Kool Aid." Mm -hmm. But they really don't know what it means. That's right. They really have no frame of reference of where that came from. Well, it came from Jonestown. Yeah. And it came from all the people there who followed Jim Jones blindly and committed suicide. How many people committed suicide? I think there were seven, eight hundred, oh, something goodness. like that. I mean, it was, it was shocking. a lot of people. And, and very few people actually got out and survived. And Mike yeah. Brooks was one of them. Um, and so we really need to pay attention. Uh -huh. and, we, and we can't just let things slide right. and so uh, if there was nothing that that came out of that but that message yeah. that we need to always be vigilant that's definitely a cautionary tale mm -hmm. yeah he left a place which we were just speaking of as being community yeah it was it was community that went the wrong direction yeah. and it was a messiah who was not truly a messiah and it, it shows what can happen when and in this case again the culture of fear paranoia, mm -hmm. because Jim Jones had them all convinced that the government was about to descend and was going to oh. take their children away and put them in jail. Mm -hmm. And that's why he could talk them into committing this this incredible crime, yeah. is that they were convinced that there were no alternatives. Just too much trust, not enough questioning. Yeah, a lot to be learned from that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So in addition, though, to the Michael Prokes tragedy that we were speaking of, Modesto has appeared in the national news from time to time as the scene of some horrific crimes. In the 2017 Modesto B article, you're quoted as saying, we continue to take a lot of heat from various media outlets and news organizations about what kind of town we are. Well, do you think Modesto is different from other towns in this respect? And if so, why might that be? Well, we talked a little bit about this earlier. And I think that we're not that different from other towns, particularly in the Central Valley. And I think part of it has to do with that insulation and isolation. It's good because we can we know we have to take care of each other and we have to be good neighbors and we have to be involved in our community. But by the same token, there is um, an isolation yeah. that can allow things like Mike Proke's suicide right. or uh, uh, Lacey Peterson yeah. or the, um, the uh, things that happened with the uh, Yosemite, um, oh, the murders right. and the, um, all those kinds of things. Yeah. And we've, we've had a couple other sort of heinous crimes that have mm -hmm. happened. And, and part of that is, again, because of sort of our location, kind of being yeah. in between Los Angeles and San Francisco and, mm -hmm. and sort of in the, in the middle of nowhere and, and being a little... Well, uh, naive. And, and being naive. I think that there's yeah. a certain amount of that. And again, that trust and naivete and, yeah. and that lack of vigilance that you think everything is okay with your neighbors when, in fact, it really right. isn't. It needs to be that you're more involved with your neighborhood and your neighbors to make sure that, they're, that things are okay. Yeah. But, but I think that it really is that, um, that isolation. And, and really what I think one of the messages that I've tried to communicate in, in my books and, and plays and other things is that we really have a lot to be proud of in this town. Yes. We've created a lot of good things. We have I mean, when you, a, a town that by itself has created a Gallo Winery and a George Lucas. Yeah. Either one of those alone would have been reason enough to be proud of the community. Absolutely. But we've done a lot of other things that, mm -hmm. that are, are worthy of our, our pride. And so I like to remind people that we shouldn't always be running our town down. And a lot no. of people do. Yeah, I've heard And it. that there's really good reasons to be proud. And yes, we have our issues. And yes, we've done some things wrong. But again, that sense of community and working together mm -hmm. is to our benefit. And we really need to be be proud and, and really showcase what it is we're doing. And and actually, the uh, an organization that's been around for a while, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, has uh, recently restructured. And they're really doing a lot of good work in that area of trying to show what it is that we've done and what we've got to offer. And they just sent out something recently, which was the Almond Blossom Cruise Route. And so you go see the almond blossoms that are in, incredibly in oh, bloom yes. right now. Beautiful. Yeah. And so they gave a route where you could go out up and go as far up, I think, as Knights Ferry and other places to sort of see what beauty there is in our, certainly our agricultural bounty. Yeah. And so things like that, is, I think, is really, really encouraging. Oh, I'm so glad to hear about that. Very nice. Well, when I moved to Modesto in the late 70s, I noticed right away this area is actually home to a vast thriving art community. What do you think might account for the vibrant and diverse art scene here? I think, again, it has to do with, with location. Being close to San Francisco and Los Angeles, we're exposed to a certain amount of culture okay. that we can go to and then hopefully bring bring it back. And I think that grow, certainly my growing up in this community, the arts were very important. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they, they're not as important now, and I'm hoping we can sort of get back to that again. But yeah. but we, in elementary school, junior high, high school, 
there were music programs, mm -hmm. there were arts programs, so that, that if that was something you really wanted to do, you were encouraged to do that. Yeah. I mean, I remember playing the clarinet in elementary school. Mm -hmm. I remember being in chorus. Uh, I remember in junior high school being in chorus. Um, and I remember friends of mine in junior high and high school that wanted to stay with that, could do that. Um, and we had lots of friends who were very involved in um, drawing and in painting mm -hmm. and in photography. And, uh, and so I think that that was very important. And unfortunately, uh, it's not stressed as much now. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that people like yourself that have come into the community and have brought that with them, that interest, mm -hmm. I think that that's very, uh, has had an influence also. So that like-minded individuals get together and form writers groups and form yeah. poetry groups and mm -hmm. form uh, do things uh, at local galleries. I mean, I'm amazed at the amount of local galleries that are having events where people can come in and do an art project or work together on an art project. Yes. Um, I know that Chartreuse Muse is doing a number of things. I know that Michelin Gallery is doing mm -hmm. a number of things. Um, I think it's the Dragonfly uh, Gallery is doing some things. Um, so it's nice to see sort of that where people are bringing in their own um, ideas and then being able to work together with other people to do that. And, and there is an amazing amount of work being done in music and in art and in writing. And, uh, and I think that that's very encouraging. Oh, I do too. You're listening to KCBP Community Radio, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Arts of the San Joaquin Valley with Linda Scheller, your host, and today's guest, Ken White. Do you believe artists have a certain responsibility within their community, Ken? I do. I think that uh, it's, it's imperative for artists to give back to their community. And one way they can do that is by sharing their work or sharing their expertise. I think it's important that artists tell the truth, that they, for lack of a better term, expose lies when they, mm. when they exist. Yes. Um, through their artwork. And, there, and there's very, very different ways that they can do that, whether that's, it's a piece of, uh, it's a painting or it's a photograph or it's a, a book or a, or a poem that they can either directly address issues or indirectly do it. And, and I think that what we talked about earlier in terms of community and giving back mm -hmm. is, is critical for artists, particularly when Artists are supported by the local community, which we do when we go to art shows or, or if we buy a book or if we buy a piece of artwork or we go to openings. So I think it's incumbent on artists to, to return that favor yeah. and to make their artwork available as well as their expertise. The intersectionality is so important. I was part of the collision collaboration between local photographers and poets, and one of the poets read in Spanish... And I found out that there's actually a monthly reading in Spanish, Noche de Poesía. Okay. And um, I'm just continually finding new groups and events, artistic outlets, and it's just, it's marvelous. But we're a much tighter community, and, uh, well, I'm, I'm all for understanding and learning from each other. So this is perfect. Well, it's um, David Schrader. Yes. Um, put that to group to that particular exhibit together and and then uh, he's done similar kinds of things each february the the photo modesto project oh, yeah. that uh, is is at the Mistun gallery and probably wrapping up fairly soon um but bringing together photographers and poets mm -hmm. and and showcasing their artwork and he showcased it at the beginning of the 
project, um, the work of Adrian Mendoza, yes. who Adrian lived in Modesto and worked for the Modesto Bee for years and mm-hmm. then moved out of the area and, and very talented individual. And I've known Adrian for a number of years. And so it was great for him to be able to, to come back to the community that yeah. he was very much a part of mm-hmm. and showcase his work and, and have it appreciated. Absolutely. Beyond what we've discussed, are there any other ways you can think of that art is important to a community? Well, I think really, again, as we've mentioned, it's the important thing is, is connecting us, is, is, uh-huh. is bringing us together, uh, whether it's at a, a performance at the Gallo Center or it's at a, uh, something at the Mislin Gallery mm-hmm. uh, or something at the Chartreuse or maybe a, a class. Um, so I think that, that that is really the important thing is, is to bring us together as a community and also to share those talents mm-hmm. with the next generation. Yeah. It's important to have a means of expression, and especially for the young, you know, as they're struggling to find their identity and their place, the more we can give them in terms of various arts, the better. And I really, we were talking about how when we grew up, we had music, we had art, we had drama in elementary school, junior high. We need to have that back. Kids need that. No, absolutely. And I I found, found that there were friends of mine that I grew up with that maybe reading books and, and writing essays and things like that wasn't the best way to express what was inside them. No. I mean, the classic case is George Lucas. Oh, George right. Lucas was, and he confesses this, was a horrible student mm-hmm. because he was very visual. And if you, you know he could draw or read a, a comic book or something like that, that's what was important to him. And so when he got a chance to finally realize that, goodness, maybe filmmaking is what yeah. is really important to me, then the rest, as we know, is history. And there are a lot of kids that it takes them a while to figure it out. But once they figure it out, mm-hmm. whether it's a painting or a poem or a film, then they can change the world. Yeah, isn't that a perfect example? He started out, I, I think he wanted to race cars, didn't he? I mean, he loved driving fast and almost died that way. And yeah, exactly. I heard they uh, gave him his diploma in the hospital yeah, thinking yeah. he wasn't going to make it. But then when he did start filming, he made a, a film about Modesto and, and the car culture here and from there to Star Wars. And now, I mean, my goodness, you can't find a young person who doesn't know the characters and emulate some of them and have these wonderful uh, values that, that they can aspire to mm-hmm. well you think about legacy and yeah. certainly that legacy for for george lucas is is never going to go away yeah, i mean it's right. it's in terms of cultural impact it's mm-hmm. huge and here it is from a, a kid who didn't like school and didn't like to read and yeah. figured out finally oh yeah i like to film things i uh-huh. like to take photographs and and i like cars so i'm going to film cars <laughs> and then suddenly it's like oh okay yeah. maybe there's something here that i can do so what do you think our community can and should do to strengthen the arts and support the work of artists? I think uh, the way that the community can support arts is is to attend events, mm. is to support the artists in, in whatever endeavor they're doing, attending performances at the Gallo or at the Prospect Theater or at the State Theater, um, promoting them. I mean, that, that's kind of what I do. Um, I've got an email list and I send out announcements about things that are going on in town all the time. Modesto View, Chris Murphy does that. The local magazines do that as well. Uh, the Modesto Bee does it. So I think that promoting these kinds of things that, so that people are aware, because yeah. I'll talk to people from time to time and they'll go, oh goodness, I didn't know that was going on. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed, I missed that. It. Yeah, yeah exactly. and it, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, participating, whether it's an art class or, uh-huh. or a, a poetry group or a reading or whatever. And I think also funding, underwriting. Oh, yes. Uh, if you can 
can chip in a little bit to, to help out with uh, something. And, and certainly we, we do that when we attend these events. Yeah. So I think those are all ways that the community can really support it. And I think also fostering an appreciation of the arts and fostering that appreciation and that need to bring arts education back to the community. Yes, yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned funding. Most of the organizations that I can think of immediately are nonprofits, and so they really are dependent on volunteers and donations, and they put on fundraisers, and we want them to stay, so we've got to do our part. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. In what areas of community service are you presently involved, Ken? So I'm doing a few things now. I'm uh, involved with uh, the George Rogers Park, which is over by the airport neighborhood. And George Rogers was my best friend. I grew up with him uh, from second grade on. Oh, nice. And and he taught uh, elementary school at um, Orville Wright for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they tried to to see if he wanted to go to other other schools, but he he was committed to that community. And when he passed away, we actually before he passed away, we were able to talk the city into renaming the community park that was being built after him in, in his memory. And uh, when we did that, we agreed that we would help uh, fund that park and fund programs in that park, which we've Good. basically done, goodness, it's been 15 years, I think now, wow. um, that we've been involved with, with the park and underwriting improvements to the park. We got a skate uh, basketball court oh, built. We had a baseball diamond built there. We've uh, been involved with the school, underwriting projects uh, at the school there. And uh, so I've been very involved with that. And, and as a result of that, I'm now also involved with Modesto Neighborhoods in, Incorporated, hmm. which is a group of neighborhood associations that are trying to do various projects here in town oh. and uh, doing some really wonderful work. And um, so we're hoping to be more involved with them. I'm also involved with um, the Graffiti Museum, which is now um, coming together huh. um, through the work of some community leaders, including Chris Murphy and John Sanders and and uh, some other folks. And so that uh, um, is hopefully going to come together fairly quickly. And they're looking at a, a property that, that might be suitable to uh, showcase that. Oh, wow. So, so that's, that's a, a big project that... that uh, that I'm working on. Well, I um, never even heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's it's. Um, they're hoping that uh, that the, a building can be purchased and they can start actually doing renovations. Hopefully, uh, I'm thinking this year. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. So so that'll showcase our graffiti heritage, and we'll be able to provide a place where people can go and learn about the history of of cruising, but also the history of Modesto, mm-hmm. and be able to see different. Uh, customized cars and so it's and it's going to be a very large space and they'll actually have an event space so that you can rent it and uh and have events there so it'll be uh it's going to be pretty fantastic and then i'm also involved with the uh, modesto history center good which is basically going to try to perpetuate um the history of modesto and and basically our archives Mm -hmm. um which janet lancaster is basically single-handedly taken care of over the years along with wayne mathis who is the former uh person that was in charge of the, the museum and the mansion, and he recently retired. And so there needs to be some organization that basically makes sure that that um, the history of Modesto is, is perpetuated. Excellent. Oh, that's great. What writing projects are you currently working on? So I'm revisiting some old projects and working on some new ones. So um, I have a novel that was actually the first novel I wrote that was never published called Tyranny of the Downbeat. And it's a novel about the politics of water in California, mm. particularly as it relates to the Central Valley, which um, is very important to oh, us. Yes. And so I'm hoping to, to 
revisit that. It was written and, and I set aside and went on to other projects. And so I'm hoping to finish that. I'm working on another project called the Flatland Chronicles. And it's basically the Spoon River Anthology, only oh. instead of poems, it's microfiction. It's very short, short stories. And I've uh, written most of that now, and I'm hoping to, to finish that this year and get oh, that out. And then I've got another uh, sh- very short novelette uh, called Counting on Christmas, mm-hmm. which is a Christmas story. And I'm hoping to have that out um, in July. So it'll be kind of Christmas in July. Oh, goodness. And then I'm working on a third uh, children's Christmas book with a local illustrator. I've written two already. One was called That Happiness Thing. Hmm. Uh, the second was um, The Twelve Days of Central Valley Christmas. Oh, nice. And the third one's going to be that Twas the Night Before Christmas in Modesto. Oh, And so good. it's going to be very specific to, to Modesto uh-huh. and Christmas. And it'll have sort of a graffiti theme to it. Wow. And so I'm hoping that that'll be out in uh, in November. And then I'm also revisiting some song lyrics that I mm. wrote years ago with, with George, my best friend, yeah. and my younger brother, Wendell, um, a musician. And so, and it's been, goodness, I think 50 years ago mm. that we wrote some original songs for a band called Countryside, oh. which my friend George and my brother were in, along with some other folks, including mm-hmm. Bruce Johnson, who's part of Homegrown, and... Uh, Skip Domenko, who was a drummer, and some other local guys. Uh-huh. And so we wrote some some songs. And so I sort of set those aside, and I brought them out again and wrote some new ones, which I sent to my nephew, who is also a very accomplished musician, and he's going to put some music to it. And so I'm working on song lyrics again. Oh, so, fabulous. Yeah, it's been fun. You are a local treasure. <laughs> I'm just so happy to hear about what you're doing. I can't well, that, wait. that's the other thing that, you know, in terms of giving back to the community and being, uh-huh. being involved is is I'm sort of a good friend of mine, Alan Arnapole, Yes, dubbed me the town crier. Oh. And that's basically what I am, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that people send me information and I send it out to the community saying, well, here's what's going on. Participate if you can, support mm-hmm. it if you can, mm-hmm. but, but here's what we're doing. Oh, good. Thank you for doing that. So where can listeners go to hear more information about you and your work? So basically, I, I at one point had a website and with uh, one of my publishers, but unfortunately, they went out of business, so I no longer have a website. But I have a Facebook page where I post a lot of things that are going on, and then um, through email and texting, I have uh, I send out emails about what's going on with me as well as mm-hmm. other writers, and um, so uh, I will send out periodic information about what I'm involved with, and that's the primary way that I get the information out. And then I occasionally will write for Modesto View and and appear on programs like this Mm -hmm. to sort of get the word out. So I appreciate the fact that that you invited me to to come speak and and hopefully your listeners will learn a little bit more about what I'm doing and what's going on in town. Oh, I'm sure they're going to be so grateful. I've learned a lot and I thank you. My guest today was Ken White and it's just been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley has been produced and hosted by Linda Scheller and Sandy Graham and features music by Kilobot, Waves of Wonder from the album Jazzy Lazy. You can learn more about their music at www.kilobot.de. That's K-I-E-L-O-B-O-T dot D-E. If you would like us to feature your art-related event or if you would like to be featured on our show, 
contact us at arts at kcbpradio.org. Stay tuned for more great community radio brought to you by local volunteers, the Modesto Peace Life Center, and listeners like you. Please visit kcbpradio.org to show your support and to learn more about your community radio station. Catch you next time on the Arts of the San Joaquin Valley.